Church family, it's great to see you. Have I said that before? Always great to see you. Um, would you pray with me as we get into God's word? Let's just ask God to bless this time. Heavenly Father, I just thank you uh, for all who've gathered for this message. And uh, we're just asking that you speak specifically to each heart. Most of all, help us to know there is a Savior who did what we could not so that we could be loved by you. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Boundaries are important things. For example, boundaries are important when it comes to our personal space. I don't know if you've ever encountered a really close talker, the type of talker where you can smell the gum they're chewing, whether it's be juicy fruit or spearmint, or you had onions for lunch, didn't you, right? I don't know if you've uh, recognized this in the world of sports. Boundaries are important. It's the difference between a home run and hitting the fence. I was uh, listening and learning about a marathon runner named Rosa Ruiz. And in 1980, she was the winner of the Boston Marathon. She came in at two hours and 30 minutes. Here's the only problem. She only ran a half a mile. (laughs) She was one who waited till the finish line, hopped into the race about a half mile left, and then, you know, went through there. That's not a marathon, Rosie. (laughs) Boundaries are important when it comes to work. I don't know what trade you're in. I'll never forget my time as a drywaller. If your job was drywall and framing, it means you did not touch the mud or the tape. It means you did not help the electricians. Even when it came delivering supplies, if they didn't deliver it correctly, we would not walk over 20 feet to pick it up because they didn't do their job. Boundaries are important things. As we talk about this, I'm just curious, has anyone ever heard of the book by Dr. Henry Cloud entitled Boundaries, A Raise of Hands, or if you've read it, really great book, came out in 1992, and I love this subtitle, it says, When to Say Yes and How to Say No to Take Control of Your Life. Now, in there, it describes someone who's completely overextended. Her name is Sally, and she's overextended with her family, with her work. She has no boundaries, and because of this, the result, she wakes up each day with dread. How is she going to get through yet another exhausting day? There's just too much. I don't know if you can relate. As Dr. Henry Crowd is dealing with Sally, uh, came to this principle when it comes to work. Uh, Here's one of the quotes from the book. Workers who continue to take on duties that aren't theirs will eventually burn out. It takes wisdom what to know we should be doing and what we shouldn't. We can't do everything. Can you relate to that? In fact, then he went on to describe different types of people. There were four, and I'll put the chart up here. Uh, There is the compliant, those who can't say no because they feel guilty or controlled by others. So there's the compliant. There's the controller on the other end who aggressively manipulates and violates boundaries because they can't hear no. There's the non-responsive who can't say yes to anything. So even if they have money to help, they're not going to help you. Even if they have time to help, they're not going to help you because they've said, no, I can't. I'm setting boundaries against that. And there's the avoidant, those who need help but don't ask for it, who need a word, an encouragement, a prayer, some money, some time, and they don't. It was really interesting learning about these personalities, that you can be a couple of them at the same time. You can be, for example, a compliant person who can't say no and always helps other people, but you can also be an avoidant who doesn't know how to receive help, which is crazy, right? By the way, I really think about every person. Every person is an enigma wrapped in a contradiction 
want you to think about that real quick. An enigma really hard to figure out, a contradiction. They don't even operate by their own rules. That's every person. And so boundaries are important, and maybe this has inspired you to pick up the book because there's something in your life right now that is overextended, and, and you don't know how to say no, or you don't know if you should say yes, and where do I go? But because we've gathered in church, I guess we should ask the question, is this just pop psychology, or is this something that God is concerned about? Because that's important, right? I don't know about you, but I want to be a church that is about the heart of God. That is not just going with every whim that society is about, but how do we seek God in all things? And by the way, I wanted to welcome you if you're new to God, kicking the tires of the church. The biggest thing we want you to know is how God broke every boundary to love you. He is unbounded in his love, and it led him to the cross. But is this part of the heart of God? Does he want us to consider where to go and where not to go? I think it is. In fact, here's your, your takeaway. As I'll describe and as I'll prove, I think boundaries might appear selfish, but are part of wise living. It might be appear selfish that I'm going to set a restriction on how much I give or how much I help, but they can be very wise. Now, I do need to explain, you could walk away from this message and be selfish. That's what the sinful nature can do with any good principle. In fact, that was going on in the time of Jesus. The Pharisees, they were not helping their parents at one point because they said, well, I have to give all my money to God. And Jesus called them out on that. You think you have a good boundary because you're just helping God. No, no, no. you got to help your parents too. So you could take the lesson of boundaries and become very selfish and very guarded in an unhealthy way. However, in general, there's so much wisdom over this. God's word is filled with where to go and where not to go. In fact, it reminds me of one of my favorite books is Proverbs. I don't know how many of you love the book of Proverbs. And it's all about wise living, and it tells us where to go and where not to go. For example, I'm going to share some of my favorite Proverbs. One of them is about how to be a neighbor. Okay, and I want you to consider uh, this one. Seldom set your foot in your neighbor's house too much of you, and they will hate you. <laughs> Isn't that a good one? It reminds me of that show, Everyone Loves Raymond, where they were like always coming over uninvited and like that didn't work out so well. Now, now what's the truth here? Like we're going to have a growth group where, thank you, Brian, for opening your home, right? You know, <laughs> but, but we're also going to be cognizant, Brian, are you ready for us to be gone? You know, because it's your home. It's this cognizant of how much am I taking from someone? And I, I want to make sure I'm not taking more than they're offering, right? That's a boundary, so uh, to avoid being a mooch is what I grew up with the word of. <laughs> or consider someone who says, you know what, I have the right to speak my mind, to say whatever I want to say, I just say it how it is. Is that a good way to live? <laughs> Proverbs, look at this one. Gentle words bring life and health. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Oh man, guarding the tongue is, is a big, big principle. It's hard to do. In fact, Jesus even says you're, you're perfect if you can do it, but um, watch out. Finally, if you are here last week, uh, Jeff, thank you so much for bringing up the topic of sexuality. It's such an important topic that the church can't avoid, and here's why. Because our society is inundated with that topic, without a lot of great guidance. And God, who created the gift of sexuality and the context for it, also tells us the boundaries. 
If you read Proverbs, there's this illustration of what it's like to not be bound in that area. Look at the analogy. All at once, the adulterer followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Is the God who loves you about boundaries for your life? I think so. But isn't it great that we have a Savior? And you've come today not to get a guilt trip, but to be reminded that Jesus kept every boundary that you couldn't and kept perfectly the laws of God in our place so that you would know you are loved, you're at peace, and you are forgiven. And that is what you are. But Jesus, in his earthly walk, had boundaries. Jesus did not do whatever anyone wanted him to do. In front of Herod, he did not put on a show. In front of the crowd, he didn't just continue to give. He knew what he was here to do. In fact, in Matthew, look at this part. He made boundaries relationally. He immediately made the disciples get in the boat, go ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. You'll see this over and over in the life of Jesus. Jesus, who loved people, who gave his life for people, still separated himself so he could have time with the Father. Isn't that why we're here today? We're learning from Jesus. In our lives, we, we could spend a ton of family time. We could work all day. We could have entertainment options. But we, like Jesus, know, no, I need to hear from my Father. So how good it is to be in the house of God. So let's get into the word that we're going to consider. Um, today we have the story of Nehemiah. And, and um, I was talking to my daughter, Bella, and, and not a lot of sermons on Nehemiah. And, and that was my experience growing up as well. And so I, because of that, I want to set the story behind it and, and tell you what's going on. So we're in about 500 B.C. when the children of God were exiles in Israel, but they were coming out of exile from Babylon. Nehemiah was given the job of rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. Now, this wall was 1.7 miles long. It's a big wall. And Nehemiah completed it in 52 days. In less than two months, Nehemiah built this incredible wall. It was completed in 444 B.C. But what we're going to see is that there were many things standing in the way of this great work, many things that could have broken his boundaries of what he was trying to accomplish and that's what we're going to learn from today. So feel free, if you have a Bible app or if you have a Bible, you can open to Nehemiah. If, if you want to follow in the worship folder or online um, on the screen, feel free to follow along. So when the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this word. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project, and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. Relentless. Each time I gave them the same answer. Well, then the fifth time, Sanballat sent this aide with a message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, and this is a lie, it's reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. 
and therefore you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king. I have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will go back to the king. So come, let us meet together, trying to entice him through these lies. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. I love that. They're all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. In the face of opposition, in the face of all that could keep me from great work, Lord, strengthen my hands. All right. So as we continue, have you ever noticed that in life, there is a mixed bag of blessings for any choice? A mixed bag of blessings. It could also be compared to as pros and cons. For example, we're going to talk about, uh, in our next series, family life. And, and, and you can be married, and you can be single, and God doesn't say that one is better than the other. But maybe you would agree with me that the bag of blessings for a married person is different than the bag of blessings for a single person. They're, they're not the same depending on how you do it, right? Where to live. In Chicago, it gets really cold. Is this like one of the colder winters, by the way? It feels cold to me. Like usually it hovers around 30 and it like breaks every now and then. Not this winter, right? But we're not the only place with inclement weather. I hear that Phoenix can get pretty hot. Um, I hear that it can even feel like you're walking on the surface of the sun, that you can fry eggs on the sidewalk. Like it's, it's hot in Phoenix. That's what I hear. Mixed bag of blessings. Consider money as an example. Got $20. With $20, I can go out and I can get a Chipotle burrito and watch a show at Imagine Theater. It's a great use of $20. I could also go to the mall and find something to wear, uh, maybe a shirt or a sweater, and, and that could be um, my, my $20 usage. Now, if I use it on one thing, I can't use it on the other. Two different things that can't happen simultaneously. I bring this up because as, no, as Nehemiah keeps his boundaries, he understands that to meet with Sanballat is not to work on the wall. He can't do them both at the same time. When, when this, the word is sent, he said, why should I stop the work? Because that's what's going to need to happen. Well, I leave it and go down to you. Here's an important takeaway about boundaries that we don't always think about. Boundaries are established when we realize saying yes to something is saying no to something else. If I spend $20 at Chipotle and imagine, I can't have money to go to the mall and buy something. In a, in a bigger way, if I say that work is always going to get my primary attention and any time they ask me to stay late, I'm going to stay late, I cannot also say yes to every family supper. They, they are concordant. They just happen that way. If I plan a weekend filled with activity, Let's say it's a tournament. Let's say it's uh, something fun to do. I cannot at the same time have a relaxing weekend. Saying yes to one means no to another. 
This was uh, apparent in a meme that's going around called Choose Your Hard. I don't know if you've seen this one. Choose Your Hard. And, and it sets up two different things that are both hard, um, but you can't have them both. Uh, here's an example. Regret is hard. Discipline is hard. Choose your heart. Pleasing everyone is hard. Pursuing what you love is hard. Choose your heart. Indecision is hard. Trusting yourself is hard. Choose your heart. But the question is, how do we know what to choose? If God isn't just like a voice from heaven telling us, rebuild the wall, how do we know what's worthy? We learn again from Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, as he's... uh, tempted to go meet with Sanballat, says this about what he's doing. He says, I am carrying on a, can you say this word? Great. It's not just some kind of work. It's not inconsequential work. It is great work. Gadol is the word in Hebrew. And when you understand in your own life what is truly great, it is then that you have boundaries over the less than. And so I ask you, what great work is God inviting you to do in this season? A great work. A work that matters. What is that right now? As you're brainstorming, I want to congratulate uh, Jordan and Mark Potempa. Uh, They just had a baby, uh, Graham, who we're going to pray for and we're going to baptize in the coming weeks. Uh, That's a, a great work. Way to go. And if you've ever had an infant, you know part of the great work? Feeding them, changing them, right? Raising them. Like, that is the great work in that season called infancy. It's consuming, but it's great. If you have a new job, what's the great work? Have you ever had to prove yourself? At a new job, there is this natural prove-yourself period that is the great work you need to do to build trust To show people you're responsible, that is just natural. If you got a new job, you have to do that and prove yourself in that season. If you're a kid, it's my great work. School, that's the work you have to do. Prove yourself. Learn how to study. Learn how to uh, excel in, in different things, whether it be in sports or whether it be at school. Learn what you like to do and do it well. Learn how to learn. And then for us in Christ, what is the great work that we are to do? It's a great commission. We know we are here in order to share the gospel of Jesus, to reach the lost with the love of Christ. We know that he has so many other great priorities for us. He wants us to excel in generosity. He wants us to excel in sharing our faith. He wants us to excel in purity and our walk and giving him glory. These are all great works to do. The only problem is, sometimes we know exactly what to do. We just don't do it. If you're like me, sometimes knowing God's will in an area isn't like a surprise, isn't guesswork. It's like, no, I... I know I should have done that, but I fail. You know, something we can be real with in front of God is how many times we we didn't know what we should have done or we didn't do what we should have done. And because of this, the reality of our, our Heavenly Father is that we deserve nothing good from Him. 
We don't deserve his grace, his mercy, or his love. But then he sent Jesus. And how awesome is Jesus? Jesus would do the great work that we couldn't do. And Jesus would let nothing stand in the way of that work. And Jesus had opposition, didn't he? When Jesus started his earthly ministry, he was tempted by the devil, and the devil said, if you bow down to me, you can reign right now. You don't need the cross. Just bow down right near. It's an escape hatch. But he didn't. Jesus knew exactly what the crowds wanted. When he came in on Palm Sunday, they wanted the king. They wanted a new Caesar. They want the reestablishment of Israel. That's what they wanted. But he couldn't do it. And he wouldn't let that crowd stand in the way of his purpose. When he was on the cross, he heard the taunts of, of the thieves who said, if you saved others, save yourself and us. And he could have. He could have given in. But he hung there and died. And why? So that you and I would know the greatest work has been accomplished. And as Jesus died, he said, it is finished. And what was finished is the peace that we needed for all the times we broke the boundaries of God. What was finished is the security of our Heavenly Father's love. You don't have to worry about how he thinks about you. Because in Christ, you are loved and are redeemed and are at peace. Praise God for the great work of Jesus. And how he let nothing stand in his way. And so the great work of our life is holding on to that message. The great work of our life is increasing in the knowledge of who God is and what he's done for us. But before we go today, I want to make you aware of things that are standing in the way. Things that will continue to stand in the way of any great work. So can I talk about distractions? How many of you would say that you're easily distracted? Easily distracted. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's something, I think it's why they created fidget spinners, right? So you can use some of that uh, energy on something else, right? Because we're so easily distracted. I think of just like how advertisers know this. Um, I think of Apple and Steve Jobs. Uh, Steve Jobs is known for saying this, that some people give customers what they want, but that's not my approach. Our job is to figure out what they're going to want before they do. And I remember this when it came to the tablet technology. And tablets were around before the iPad. But then Steve Jobs came on the scene and inundated us with pictures of this. It was everywhere in Chicago. It was in every magazine. And now I didn't even know I wanted an iPad, but now I want an iPad, right? In fact, some of you probably have an iPad. Use an iPad just because Steve Jobs is so effective. Is like, this is what you need. It happens on Facebook, right? You're having a conversation at home, and then you look at your wall, and sure enough, there's a product over that conversation because they're listening to you. Right? And it's effective. You click on it. How much does it cost? Maybe I do need another pair of leggings. I don't know. They have learned that if you're just relentless, if you just send it enough, If you get it in the mind enough, it will produce action. It will make you run after it to one degree or another. Do you know the strongest man who ever lived, do you know what was his downfall? Relentless nagging. 
<laughs> it, it was Samson and Delilah just was relentless about your source of strength and it got him to fall. And so Nehemiah is, is being distracted. And look at how often they came. It said, four times they sent me the same message and each time I had to give them the same answer. They didn't give up. It wasn't like one time, no, another and another and another. And so here's what you need to do. You need to keep your boundaries, but watch out for relentless distractions. There's so many good things to do with our life. There's so many great things. But sometimes we're caught up in the lesson just because it's in our face and it feels urgent even though it's not important. One area that describes this is Bible reading. So as long as you're at Amazing Love, we're never going to stop preaching about it, but we think you should be in your Bible reading your Bible. Because we believe that it is there that the power of God can work daily in your life and gave so much maturity, so much strength that, that is beyond Sunday morning. It's why if you don't have a Bible, pick one up. It's why we, we, we talk about how we can read schedules, where are we going. But you know the overwhelming obstacle to reading your Bible? Relentless distractions. You might have all the good intention in the world to read your Bible. In this season, I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to read it front to cover. That's what's going to happen. But your life is busy. And you can wake up each day and have enough to do and enough activities and enough information coming at you that you never open your Bible. The only way to around this? Remembering what's important and carving out time for it. Carving out when it can happen, 5 or 10 or 15 minutes, to hear the voice of the Lord. But there's more that can get in the way of good work. And so they came four times. Well, look what happened on the fifth time. Um, on the fifth time, uh, they, they, they created a lie. So if he wasn't engaged before, they said, Nehemiah, we know why you're not coming. It's because you're starting a revolt, aren't you? They're trying to emotionally entangle Nehemiah into some sideways energy, so he has to say, no, I'm not leading revolt. I'm not trying to be king. That's what's happening. Now, <laughs> how many times do we get distracted, emotionally entangled in an issue that is useless? <laughs> You're on Facebook. And usually the algorithm works. You know, the algorithm is for your confirmation bias. We've learned that. So other people will say what you're thinking because they read you, they're hearing you, have confirmation bias. But every now and then, one of them leaks out. And you see that post that is the polar opposite of your point of view. And what do you do? Should we put them in their place? Right? They need to know. And I'm the teacher. And how much time and how much energy can be used for that? Maybe you're at work and there's something going on. And they're getting the story wrong. So I need to stop what I'm doing right now and get the story straight so that everything is figured out, right? All the time we can get emotionally entangled that would take us away from what truly matters. And so one of the ways we do this, we keep our boundaries by avoiding useless arguments. The arguments that just don't matter are not productive and take away our energy. Do you know what happens in the church? I'm not saying our church. I love our church. <laughs> I was listening to church consultants, though, Tom Rayner and another, and, and they go from church to church, and they said that in the churches they meet with, about 10% are actually radically about the heart of God and the things of God. 
That, that's their estimate. 10% of churches are radically about the heart of God and the things of God. And then their other comment, that so many churches have sideways energy. Sideways energy over internal dysfunction because they're not aligned. Sideways energy over the vocal minority who only wants what they want and hold the whole church hostage. Sideways energy over issues that are not the main thing. And in fact, if you read the pastoral epistles, God warns us of this sideways energy. It says um, in 2 Timothy, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value. It ruins those who listen and avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. There are useless arguments out there. And so here's the good news. Have you lived long enough to, to realize the truth comes out? Isn't that true? At one point or another, the truth comes out. In fact, there's this Bible passage that says, good deeds go in front of a person so also their bad deeds will be known. You don't have to use that energy in some other thing. I love Nehemiah's response. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up. Now, I'm not saying you should post that. That's not a post. But I think that's a determination in your heart. When it comes to that issue, that you're just determining, no, that's not where I'm going to go. Sorry. <laughs> but a final thing. So if repetitive didn't work and emotional appeal didn't work, the last thing they try to do is they threaten him. They threaten Nehemiah saying that someone's coming to kill you. And they taunt him. I don't know where your mind goes, but mine goes to this game of 21 in basketball. I don't know if you ever played 21. It's a basketball game. And a lot of uh, this game is uh, free throw shooting. And if you're the opponent in 21, you know what you get the right to do? Whatever you want to distract the person. And you can say air ball or clank. You can clap at them. You can front on them. Like you can do whatever you want to try to get them, you know, off their game and off the shot. I'm doing some research that Arizona University has this curtain of distraction for free throwers. And at one time, Michael Phelps came out or Elvis Presley came out. Like, that's just what they do. We're going we're gonna to get in your face, right? As it applies to our own lives, I wonder how many times we're just taunted by those who say we can't do it. Yeah, you want to accomplish that great work? Oh, I know you. Tried it before. Good luck this time. Or how many times does our spiritual adversary, the devil, do that? We walk away and like, no, this is the issue. We're, we're, we're going to be generous. We're going to be this. We're going to be that. And he reminds us of our past failures to keep us from future progress. He taunts us. You're too weak. You can't do it. And so that's what Nehemiah was facing. And he knew it. They were trying to frighten us. And they thought that our hands would then get weak and they would not accomplish the work. But look at what Nehemiah did. He simply prayed. He said, God, I need you. This great work, it, it, it's too much for me. But God, it's not, enough, it's not too much for you. I need you. Strengthen my hands. If you want to keep today from wasting your life and wasting your time, if you have in mind that great work, can I tell you something? You're not enough. And I know that sounds discouraging. I know it's not an American message or an earthly message. But I say it out of love. You on your own are not enough. You never were. But now let me encourage you. The God in you 
the Holy Spirit reigning in your heart. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, which is alive in you, has always been enough to accomplish in you and for the sake of God immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. That we can pray whatever that issue is, God, strengthen me for this, and we will find a power made perfect in our weakness. That's the promise of God. And so as we establish great work in our life, our last point is this. It can be accomplished, but we need to rely on God's strength every time at every point of opposition, whether it's tomorrow and something's already standing in the way of that great work, we say, Lord, strengthen me. And it is then that God can propel us. So today, my prayer is that he's going to give you wisdom today over that next step. Wisdom of what would be great work and what would not be great work. Where to go and where not to go. May you be inspired by Jesus, the one who resolutely set out for Jerusalem to lay down his life only to pick it up again. And may that power of salvation, may you know it's alive in you so you can give God great glory. Let me pray for you before we close. We pray. So, Heavenly Father, I want to walk in a way that is wise and will please you. I ask you to grant wisdom to each person to know how to apply this message. Empower us to do great work that gives you great glory. Lord, most of all, thank you for the greatest work of Jesus who accomplished for us salvation so we could be yours now and forever. We love you, Lord. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.